Welcome aboard another great episode of the Sing Second Podcast. I am your host, John Schofield. Joining me is from the great class of 99, Chris Cervello of Palm Coast, Florida, where the weather is nice and the golfing is even better. We are right on the cusp of my personal Super Bowl. That is ship selection night happening as this pod comes out, happening tonight at Alumni Hall. Please check all of the information on the yard and the Alumni Association for how you can watch the live YouTube as 250 amazing midshipmen choose their ships. Um, We have two great interviews for you today. We have the Director of Seamanship Navigation Class of 04 graduate, Peter Flynn, former CEO of USS Arleigh Burke, the original DDG-51. And then we also have a great interview with a personal friend of mine, uh, Chris Cervello's godson, uh, sort of a kid we unofficially sponsored through the years, who has an amazing story, Lieutenant Calvin Davies, coming to us straight from the 7th Fleet AOR, which you know uh, is an AOR pretty spicy. The only spicier place out there is the Red Sea, and I'm going to get some perspective from Chris Cervello on that here in a minute. But let me give you a quick primer on ship selection. Uh, this year, 250 brave, motivated midshipmen are going to use the ever-popular mantra, SWOT doesn't suck, you suck, and pick their ships. And there isn't another community out there, Chris Cervello, you know, where you get that immediate leadership. And what I hope everyone gets from these two interviews today is the idea that this is the community. Um, no other community puts you in front of a division of sailors quicker than this one, lets you try out um, the leadership laboratory lessons that you learned within the walls of the Naval Academy than the surface warfare community. Uh, so I'll just hand it over to you, Chris. Like For me, as a former SWO, I felt like I was a better PAO because of my at-sea experience, because of the SWO pin that was on my uniform. Now, the current chief of information, Ryan Perry, does not have a SWO pin you know, and has done just fine without a warfare device on his chest. You did the very same thing. You were one of the best PAOs in our community without a warfare device on your chest. But from the standpoint of being around other SWOs, advocating for SWOs, being a PAO for Naval Surface Forces, you know, for Admiral Curtis back in the day, please give us your perspective on the importance of the SWO community and the importance of this night tonight. Well, I think first off, the, I, I learned this very early on in my career, and it was certainly reinforced working for Admiral B.C. Curtis at Surfpack and Surfor. The surface Navy is the heart of the Navy. As goes the surface Navy, so goes the Navy uh, in, in terms of culture, in terms of public understanding. And so what these young men and women do by joining the surface community and by picking their first ship is, I mean, they, they are you know, an inject of not only talent, but they are an inject directly into the culture uh, of the surface community and, and of the Navy. Um, this event is so cool. Um, and, you know, I mentioned DC Curtis. I, I was so proud working for him because th- this was really his idea. And then it exploded with people, you know, out of seamanship and navigation to turn this into an event. 
he really wanted this to be a um, NFL draft like event. And I mean, it has turned into that and more as people will see if they watch the YouTube or if they have the uh, opportunity to ever see this in, in person. Um, it is such a great event in terms of like uh, hyping up the ships, hyping up the community, getting people excited. And you're right. I mean, when you were there at Seamanship and Navigation, you know, 20 years ago, the surface community had had kind of a tough reputation. I mean, it was not, it, it was a lot of people's second or third choice. And that's kind of the reputation it had at the Academy. And what this event and what people like you and the, the many that have followed after you have done in seamanship and navigation, it, it, you've really turned it into an exciting career. Um, we'll hear from Calvin. We'll hear from the um, head of seamanship and navigation as to why it's such a great career. So I'm excited for these folks. I'm excited to see the great things that they'll do, John. Yeah, and the great things they will do will be in a variety of home ports. And just to give you an idea of what you'll see on YouTube tonight, uh, there will be one ship available in Bremerton, 16 in Everett, 78 in Hampton Roads, 27 in Mayport, 21 in Pearl Harbor. And if those aren't the first 21 picks, then you guys are mil misinformed. Uh, 10 in Rota, Spain, 8 in Sasebo, ugh, and 94 in San Diego. So for me... The first 115 picks should be those Pearl Harbor and San Diego ships. But I do know that a lot of people have joined the Navy, have gone to the Naval Academy to see the world. So they maybe want to be one of those 24 ships out of Yokosuka, Japan. The point is this. It is an amazing opportunity. It is a great opportunity to follow up on that original Navy tagline to see the world. Um, and one of the best things I ever did, and I know one of the best things that ever happened to my spouse is before we got to San Diego on my first ship, my spouse had never even been west of the Mason-Dixon line. You know, so it allowed us to see the world. It allowed me to go on to Westpacs and, and be a part of a really relevant community and a really relevant time. And that's really what we're talking about here is, is going out and being in the fight. And, and Chris, this is how we'll leave it in that you know, you'll hear from Commander Flynn talking about what these swoes are about to see. But I know that you and Chris Cavus on the Cavus Ships podcast, which I am a huge fan of, continue to talk about this. But we can't go through, you know, a single day of current events without hearing about Carney or another DDG in the Red Sea shooting down drones, shooting down anti-ship missiles. Uh, and we are now just coming out of the aftermath of a drone attack that unfortunately took the lives of three brave service members right there in Jordan. You know, I, before we go out, Chris, kind of contextualize what we're seeing on a global scale right now and the importance of a strong maritime force for our national security, not only protecting the homeland, but internationally in a really, really, this is now an incendiary time. Whatever ship these 250 young men and women go to, the likelihood that they will experience high-end competition or conflict is very high, right? So if you go to Sixth Fleet or Fifth Fleet, there's a good chance that you're going to get shot at um, by the Houthis, by some other, um, you, you, you know, belligerent. If you go to Seventh Fleet, there's a, a greater than uh, high likelihood that you're going to have to do a freedom of navigation exercise. You're going to be followed by the Chinese. You may even encounter the Iranians on that side of the world as they're sort of branching out of uh, the, the Arabian Gulf. So, I mean, the front line of the Navy is the surface force. And we are seeing this day in and day out 
um, with what's going on in the Gulf of Aden, what's going on in the Red Sea. Um, you mentioned Calvin being over in the Seventh Fleet AOR. I mean, it, this is the Navy's time to shine. And at no other time I can think of in, you know, the last uh, three or four decades, has the Navy been more critical to the national security and the natural interests uh, of the United States. True indeed. And without any other uh, preamble, let's get right to these interviews that will kind of showcase not only the importance of ship selection night, uh, but what the second and third order effects are uh, of these young men and women uh, going out and getting that immediate leadership experience and directly you know, protecting our freedoms. Here's our first interview with Commander Flynn from the great class of 04. Thank you for making time. This is a big week. Um, it's not only my Super Bowl, it is your you know, kind of foundational uh, event for the year, um, other than sending all of us poor lieutenants out on YPs every summer. Um, but, you know, first of all, kind of introduce the audience, you know, to, to Peter Flynn when he was a midshipman, um, and what made you decide to go slow? Hey, uh, thank you for having me. This is uh, fantastic. Yeah, it is a, a super busy week, but we are... Uh, geared up for the event. Um, a little bit about myself. I was an uh, economics major here. Um, I was on the heavyweight crew team for several semesters. I had gone to college beforehand, so I only had a little bit of eligibility left, but I was a heavyweight crew guy. I was a company commander of 4th Company, um, originally from Buffalo, New York. Had a great time here as a midshipman, and then uh, I was most interested in surface warfare um, because of the immediate and uh, lasting opportunities to lead uh, sailors uh, right away. I was really intrigued by that idea. I really wanted to travel and see the world. I uh, commissioned and went out to my first ship, good uh, CG-73 USS Port Royal in Hawaii, and a, a kid from Buffalo, New York going to Hawaii was, uh, was, uh, was memorable and uh, um, no, no regrets at all. Um, and yeah, looking forward to the discussion. Oh yeah, for sure. So. You know, I'll tell you back when you were a student, um, Commander, you know, it was all of us lieutenants, a bunch of 95 and 96 year group guys trying to flip the script on surface warfare. Um, you know, and we talked about it as not only a chance to immediately lead, but a chance to immediately get qualified and get operationally relevant. And then if you did want to be a JAG, um, it was your fastest way to go laterally transfer and go to law school or for me to, you know, do your two SWO tours, get that relevance and get that credibility, you know, as a qualified junior officer, come back to the yard, teach here, and then laterally transfer to public affairs. Um, do you see this still through the same lens? Like, we don't try to sell surface warfare as a transitional community because it's so central, um, you know, to if you read uh, the CNO's you know, edict on warfighting, the surface war warfare community is right there, but how are you guys now selling the surface warfare community in this current day and age? Um, this is something I spend about half my time on is uh, selling SWO. And one of the things that we talk about is the amount of flexibility we have within our career. And you highlighted a couple different things, um, but every SWO on the yard, every SWO that is you know, my peer and contemporaries out in the fleet, the 
variety of experience is uh, is second to none. And I think there are so many different ways to be a SWO and to serve with honor. That is something that we try to message daily here on the yard and making sure that the midshipmen are fully informed. Um, it, it's kind of always a struggle, you know, whether you're a 1990s grad or early 2000s like me or, you know, the class of, you know, 2020 something. SWO sometimes has a challenging um mission to sell ourselves and we don't do a very good job but um we, we try to talk about all that flexibility because there really is no uh there's no other community that lets you choose all the things that we get to choose you know ship selection on thursday night is a small part of that but being able to not only choose your first home port but your first ship um is pretty outstanding and then you know the, the the variety that we have within our community in terms of home ports and different types of platforms and all the different special programs that we have to offer um it, it really uh, it should sell ourselves but we um but again we don't do a very good job of advertising that stuff so that's something i think about on a daily basis trying to get that word out there and let them know that all the um, early opportunities we have uh to serve within our fleet I do find it interesting and it's always stood out to me against the other communities that, you know, back when I was uh, commissioned in 96, you know, you, you were, you know, you got commissioned, you went up to SWAS for like six to seven months. You know, I went up there, did, you know, uh, what, what I guess they call BDOC now, but then like gas turbine engineering school, maybe a follow on school, you do six months and you get to your ship and you roll from there it has evolved from then. And, and a lot of people might not be familiar with how immediate your opportunity is to lead in that, you know, here you go, almost every aviator and not to cast dispersions on the aviation community, but a majority of these dudes will sit around the yard and get staffed for like six to seven months, hand out basketballs and rickets uh, or Halsey. And then they go down to primary in Pensacola and they sit there for maybe like three to four to eight months waiting for their class to start. They go through the entire pipeline. And then all of a sudden you're like four to five to six years in before you're even standing in front of a division of sailors who need you and need your help. And, and as we'll hear in our second interview uh, with Lu Lieutenant Calvin Davies, you know, standing in front of that division and standing in front of them immediately as a leader made all the difference to him. How do you how do you look at that dynamic in, in terms of now, you know, if you get commissioned in late May as a SWO, as one of these 250 people picking SWO on uh, February 1st, a lot of them might be standing in front of a division by September, right? Uh, that's true. Yeah, most of them will report definitely before the end of the year, depending on their training track. But yeah, October, November is when they're going to you know, most often show up to the ship. Uh, and again, yeah, they're going to be in front of a division uh, and asked to lead right from the start. We have countless number of examples of young division officers that are part of the class of 2023 that are standing the watch right now in the Red Sea doing um, really, really cool work, putting uh, warheads uh, downrange in aggression uh, in the Red Sea doing it right now. We've got a lot of those stories coming back and we're using that as one, not only a selling point for the community, but also um, a really good uh, lesson in terms of, uh, hey, this is serious stuff and you're going to be asked to do a lot of really, really interesting things that are going to challenge you in ways you hadn't thought about. So while you're here, while you're in this leadership laboratory, 
make sure you're ready to do this sort of stuff. And this is one of the great things that, uh, you know, is there about um, SWOs. We got, you know, two on Thomas Hudner. We got some on good ship USS Mason and a lot of other folks out there in the Red Sea doing really, really interesting work. So I'm going to shift it back to you really quick. So now you have evolved. Um, and, and I think I was joking around with you before we went on air that the only time that good Lieutenant Scopio got called into CNAV's office uh, back from 2000 to 2003 was when I was in trouble. Um, but you, you have now ascended to, to one of those peaks of SWO leadership where you're giving back to midshipmen, where you were imparting that knowledge from when you were amid, you know, from, you know, 9-11 happening either right before or, or as you were there as a plebe um, to then standing the watch. And now you're coming back and leading this effort and bringing in 250 new SWOs. What, what were the lessons, you know, two or three like big lessons learned that you've taken from your own SWO experiences? Because you piqued my interest when you said, hey, my first ship was USS Port Royal and every SWO knows that ship has some very unique history, um, both good and bad. You know, so I know that not every SWO story is like, you know, unicorns and rainbows. How, how do you impart, you know, the, the totality of those experiences to give real leadership lessons to these future surface warfare officers? Um, great question. You know, I, I talked about the different roles that CNAV director has. You know, I'm, a, I'm an instructor. I, I'm, I'm in the classroom myself, and so I try to make sure I bring in those lessons learned over a career into the classroom, but also, you know, there's this, you know, recruiting of SWOs and then, and then running the department, but the, uh, you know, commissioned in 2004, you're, you're spot on, you know, 9-11 happened while I was here. I was in Spanish class. I remember it vividly, like often of us do. Um, and that changed the tone while I was here at the Naval Academy. It was, Hey, this is kind of a, a fun place to, to go to school and you're going to get a job and that sort of stuff when you're done. But um, then I remember, you know, recent, you know, very recent grads coming home uh, in body bags and it really shifted the focus and kind of the, the attitudes here on the yard. And it's kind of been, you know, the same ever since. Now returning is a, is a real blessing, right? Um, you know, there's some really awful stories about being a SWO or any community. You know, you can talk about the recent collisions that we had on Fitzgerald or McCain, or you can talk about, you know, the not so great things that happened on USS Port Royal. I wasn't there by the way, um, or a number of things. I, uh, I most recently came from command to Barley Burke. I lost a sailor while I was in command. And that is something that is uh, difficult to talk about, but super important because these are things that um, the midshipmen are going to be faced with really, really soon. As soon as they get in front of uh a division and asked to lead young men and women through not only the jobs, but also how to, how to be an adult and how to, you know, help people um, serve uh, as honorably and as uh, effectively as they can. So the, the really, and this is uh, one of my last questions before I let you go. One, one of our you know, most prideful moments as lieutenants back then, you know, was was taking that old mantra, which wasn't very popular with the with the uh, CNAV. Ironically, CNAV back when I was there, his niece is now the starting point guard for the women's basketball team um, at the Naval Academy. Shout out to old Commander Bruce Curry. Um, but you know, when we were there, we tried to make SWO cool again, and we came up with that whole. Hey, SWO doesn't suck. You suck if you think that you know SWO sucks. And and now you know we saw that evolve to right before you picked your ship, like the number two order of merit kid 
in 2003 was a slow. And, and it warmed my heart as my second ship was an amphib. He picked an amphib out of San Diego, um, which I think made like Vice Admiral Sestak's head explode when he was standing there. But, you know, how do you, how do you see, you know, because a lot of people think, oh, you know, like all the SWOs are the athletes and they're like extremely low order of merit. I, I don't think that's the case anymore. You know, I don't know if you know the highest order of merit student picking SWO, but where, where do you see the cross-section of students now in, in this upcoming selection list on uh, Thursday night? Um, across the board. So um, the order of merit and, you know, all that sort of stuff, it competes well with other communities, but we, we, um, we've always, that same challenge that we had in 2004 when I was graduating to 2024, um, again, I, I think we do a poor job of selling ourselves, and, and I think, frankly, uh, we don't have as good a reputation or an accurate accurate representation of what goes on in the fleet. And so I think we kind of constantly work on our engagement strategies to make sure that the midshipmen have a, a really accurate look at the um, what the fleet is like, because I think that they'll uh, most, most often find that they're one able to, you know, super um, capable of being successful. And I think they'll really enjoy their service. But in terms of what's going to happen on Thursday, we have some very, very high order merit folks, and then we have some at the other end of the spectrum. Um, what we've found, and we've actually asked the question is, hey, how does order of merit um, translate to fleet performance? And it's, uh, it's a complicated question, but um, you don't necessarily need the, the highest order of merit folk to, um, to do well on board ships. It's those who want to be there um, and are excited about the service. And so, um, I would much rather concentrate on recruiting a midshipman that really wants to be a SWO as opposed to the number one student, because I think um, if you're going to continue and graduate and be successful here at the Naval Academy, I think you have the tools um, mentally and physically to go do the job. Um, but that attitude piece comes along with wanting to be where you, uh, you know, being able to bloom where you're planted and, and entering the community that you first uh, uh, commission into is a big part of that. And if you want it, you're going to do really well. So um, I'm much less interested in order of merit as I am in terms of want and the desire to enter the community. It's an incredibly smart and strategic way to look at it. Um, I absolutely love it. And, and this is my last shout out. You know, the uh, Alumni Association and Foundation wants to help you and will help you commander cell surface warfare um, as a great community, a chance to immediately lead and a chance to go out there in, in a very real and, and hot op area, you know, across the world um, and immediately, you know, practice the tools that you learned in that leadership laboratory, as Commander Flynn just said. Uh, we'll be there on Thursday night. We'll be handing out Liberty cards, quote unquote, to every selectee. If you select you know, a DDG out of Norfolk, and I'm talking to you, Maeve Swick, the daughter of my roommate in college, uh, who wants to uh, who wants to pick a ship out of Norfolk. We're going to give you a little Liberty card that says "Welcome to Norfolk," and on the back of that card will be a QR that says, you know, that takes you to a site where you can find the information on the chapters in Norfolk, the parents' clubs in Norfolk, the alumni-owned businesses in Norfolk, um, and we'll continue to help CNAV sell surface warfare as a great community. Um, and Commander Flynn, we thank you so much for uh, coming on the pod. Any, uh, any last words from you before we go out? 
Thanks again, John, for having me. Uh, it's going to be a great night. If you have the, um, if you're in the local area, please come to Alumni Hall. Uh, after, you know, right around 1800, and you can watch the show. That was Commander Flynn from the great class of 04. We're going to go to break. When Chris and I come back, we have a great interview with one of our favorites, Lieutenant Calvin Davies. This is Sing Second. The Sing Second podcast is sponsored by Scott Shooter and the Shrek Realtor and Crew team. Scott Shooter is truly committed to making your real estate transaction an enjoyable, stress-free process. His work ethic, honesty, and pride in his job were instilled at an early age and were reinforced through his education at the U.S. Naval Academy and his service in the military in the E2D platform. Those traits provide him with the tools to provide you with the professional expert service that you desire and deserve. Those traits are the foundation of his service to you and your agent. It is not just lift service, it is a way of life. You can start your home search by visiting Scott Shooter's listings and property search page. Please visit scottshooter.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-S-C-H-U-E-T-T-E-R.com. Scott Shooter, the Shrek Realtor and Crew, a proud sponsor of the Sync Second Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, what better way to follow up that interview with uh, Commander Flynn about ship selection night than to talk to an actual SWO who's out there standing the actual watch. Um, personal friend of mine, Chris Cervellos, um, really happy to be joined by Calvin Davies, uh, currently on deployment, currently out there in the interest of OPSEC, ladies and gentlemen, I'll just say he's in the 7th Fleet AOR. Graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 2017 with a degree in quantitative economics, and now getting it done on a littoral combat ship out there uh, in the Navy. You know, probably most known in Chris Cervello's world as having a dad who has a better handicap than Chris. Uh, but Calvin, first things first, you know, how are you doing? How far through the deployment are you? And, uh, you know, just catch us up. Doing great. Uh, we got out here in October, and uh, we're going to be heading back in March. Uh, it's been this is the second hop out of two in this uh, rotational deployments that we do on the LCS. So I've been away from home for I guess nine months of the last year, and uh, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. That uh, March is on the horizon. My relief is on board. So there's a lot of good things. Uh, I'm in this process of transitioning out of the Navy here over the next few months. Uh, so we've got a lot of exciting things coming up. So here, you know, and I know that Chris wants to get to a, a bunch of stuff of, of what you've learned and, and what you've gone through in order to get to where you are, because, you know, the, the foundational elements of your story are fantastic. But, you know, here, you know, tomorrow night uh, or tonight, depending on when the pod comes out, um, you know, we're going to have 250 plus midshipmen selecting their ships as part of ship selection night. I used to run that event. It's one of my favorite things. Um, you know, but it, you're, you're talking about a very interesting time in, in anyone's young professional life that, you know, here you are as a senior in college and you will now know what ship you're going to, what your deployment schedule nominally will be depending on world events. What advice do you have, like right at the very bare bones, you know, what advice do you have for, for these young men and women who are about to select their ships and, and embark upon their SWO careers? That's a great question, John. Uh, it's it's really tough because I think so many mids, when they're going up to that board, they're looking for an amphib in San Diego. They're looking for 
you know, hey, where am I going to get the stateroom the fastest? Um, where can I be, you know, having the, the easiest ride? Uh, but I think a big part of that is, you know, doing that research on your ships ahead of time, knowing, you know, what that deployment schedule is like, because it's all about getting qualified. Uh, the pipeline for SWO is getting beefed up more and more. Uh, we've seen that over the last decade, and it's no longer graduate and we just toss our SWOs at the fleet and they're going to learn everything on the job. There is a SWO pipeline now that we've built up and there's a lot of prerequisite skills that our ensigns need to show up to be able to hit the ground running and we owe that to our sailors. So uh, do that research, find a ship that has a schedule that is advantageous to qualifying because the life of a qualified SWO is a lot better than non qualified ensign. Uh, stateroom is one of those things that happens quickly as soon as uh, you get that swoop in, in a lot of cases, um, some other privileges as well. Uh, you have a voice more in the wardroom uh, once you have that swoop in on your chest, and it means a lot. So base advice is look somewhere that you're going to thrive, somewhere you can qualify. Don't look for that large pool that you can kind of blend into. Um, look for somewhere that you can shine. I'm going to try to get through this without being <laughs> emotional. Um, as I, I kind of look over, I, I'm sitting at my desk as we're taping this, and there's a picture of you, Calvin. I, I think you're three, maybe four. Uh, I'm holding you. You have my ensign cover on. It's when I graduated from the Naval Academy. Uh, so it's uh, it's a, it's special to talk to you as you're starting to transition. Um, and you, you know, you've had the benefit of lots of uh, friends and mentors in and out of the the Navy. You grew up in Calvert County, so you had, you know, you were close to the Naval Academy while you were there. Um, but now you're far away, as John talked about. You know, you're on the other side of the world. You're starting to think about transition. What kind of resources are you pulling on um, as you start to transition out of active duty um, and into the civilian life? It's just amazing the network that you develop over your time. So I'm coming up on seven years of active service now and uh, just looking through three different ships that I've been on and I've got people all across the country now. So I uh, still don't know exactly where I'm going to end up with my next geolocation. Uh, I've give, given the keys to the car to my fiance. We're waiting to hear back where she's going to be getting into school. Uh, for some graduate level education. And so I still feel confident in the fact that I've got those connections through my time in the Navy, coast to coast, and that um, you build that network in order to be able to know that you have the tools to succeed. You know, that also goes with, you know, being a, a swell and learning these skills where it's, you know, these management skills, these leadership skills that, you know, are going to apply into that next chapter of life. So let, let's talk a little bit about like, I think it's easy to come on the podcast and talk about like all the good stuff that happens in people's lives. Um, but I mean, you, you know, you, you've had ups and downs um, when you are mid ran into a little bit of adversity. Um, there was a little bit there where you weren't sure that you were going to make it through. Um, you spent a little bit of time in the fleet uh, and then came back and graduated and then went back out to the fleet as an ensign. You talked a little bit about like, you, you know, maybe the, the leadership lessons or the the Naval Academy lessons that you learned from adversity as well as from successes? Definitely. Um, I'll start off with, uh, I know you, you mentioned it, you know, running into that adversity. Uh, first, you know, two and a half years as a mid, uh, I felt prepared. You know, I, I was, I got comfortable in a lot of ways and, you know, 
grades were doing good. Um, I was decent with the physical mission. Uh, but there's other ways that, you know, the academy can also take someone that you could be an all-star uh, in your small town in Southern Maryland and everything. Um, but you're surrounded by such amazing people, you know, people way smarter than you, people way more athletic. You've got all that D1 talent athletically, um, people that are really put together. Um, and so you can kind of get humbled real quick there. Um, I also think that, you know, as a mid, had a little bit of a sense of entitlement. Uh, got thought that I was entitled to a little bit more of the college experience uh, than is offered at the Naval Academy. And I know we talk about different slogans, but it is definitely not college. Uh, I learned that the hard way uh, because, you know, I got in trouble for, you know, doing some dumb things. And as a result, there's going to be consequences. And uh, some mentors that I have have talked to me about, uh, we need leaders of character and consequence. So um, through some of those consequences, I've learned a lot. Um, being out in the fleet after having, you know, three and a half years at the Naval Academy and serving as a deck seaman was definitely that humbling experience. Uh, you see these other sailors that you're surrounded by who they're hungry, you know, and in ways it kind of relit that fire for me, that drive, because, you know, the only way that you're going to succeed, that you're going to get better is through hard work. And you have sailors that are, you know, busting their butts every day, working hard every single day of the year. And sometimes you get insulated from that a little bit while you're at the academy. So that entire experience uh, really taught me a lot of lessons. I had to grow up really quickly. Uh, had the amazing opportunity to go back and graduate. And then uh, I know we're talking about service selection. So SWO was never on my radar to begin with. Started off, I grew up in Southern Maryland near Pax River, seeing jets fly overhead and said, that's what I want to do. I uh, remember going to Chris's graduation when I was four, one of those early memories that was you know, implanted into my brain. So after I came back and was told that, you know, pilot's not an option anymore. Uh, you're going to have to go through a poker board. I didn't have the traditional uh, big board for a service selection that, you know, a lot of mids get to when, when they choose SWO. So I kind of fell into SWO. But it ended up being one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And, you know, I'm not embellishing that fact at all just because of the lessons learned along the way, the people that I've gotten to meet. Uh, met my fiance on my uh, first Devo tour. She was on a different ship, but uh, same geolocation. And uh, it's been an amazing ride. And I think about, like, all the life experiences that I've gotten to have along the way because of, um, you know, the follow-on to, to those actions. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've had a lot of different grads um, on here. Uh, we, we've heard a lot of different stories. And, and I think instinctively, people remember, you know, the successes that they had at the Naval Academy, and they use those successes to catapult them forward um, in, into the fleet. But you really do have to go back and like, lean on some of those um, tough times at the Naval Academy, right? I mean, I, I remember I, I learned you know, it's not how bad you mess up. It's how well you recover. Um, the, the actual saying is a little bit more colorful, but um, I, I think, you know, in some ways, Calvin, I mean, you, you were may not, you know, may still be too fresh to say lucky, but I mean, I think um, I certainly am proud of the way you took that adversity and turned it around. I think it made you a better uh, Naval Academy graduate. It 
it, no, you know, undoubtedly made you a better flow. So uh, sometimes it's important, you know, for alumni to remember that the Naval Academy is about adversity as much as it's about success. And, you know, whether you're 50 years old or, you know, 30 years old, leaning on that time uh, is important when you, uh, when you go through some of those hard times. I, I totally agree. Uh, and I remember, <laughs> I remember the time I had to call my parents and say that, you know, that I'd run into some very significant conduct trouble. Uh, I remember calling both of you as well uh, as mentors. And it, it's one of the hardest conversations that I've ever had to this day uh, saying I screwed up. I don't know if I'm going to graduate. And, you know, in your head, you know, you have all the worst possibilities going through and, you know, immediate reaction was, you know, curl up and, you know, lick my wounds start applying somewhere else and uh luckily i had really strong mentors that helped guide me and told me this is not the time <laughs> to to be doing that and you need to fight harder than ever um and prove that you want to commission and that you want to serve and i think that's one of the biggest lessons i've ever learned in my entire life john you know we we've had friends and i, I think calvin you fall into this category we've had friends that still wear their black end you know, yeah. at like Army Navy, and at first I think, yeah, I, I was not a black hand recipient, but uh, at first I think you do it to be irreverent, you know, to sort of maybe a little bit of a middle finger back to the Naval Academy and to the leadership. But I, I think also over time, though, it becomes this reminder to you. This is just my impression that like you can get through hard stuff, right? That that four years was just as much about uh, the black end, the, the the blackness, the hardness as it was about the golden, you know, the, the goodness of, of winning and, and, and all that. And I, I don't want to, you know, this is my Shays Lounge time, John, you, you know, as I dole out uh, psychology uh, le lessons. But I mean, that that's my sense is that, you know, th that you got to remember the bad as, as much as the good if you're really going to get the full experience out of it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I got I, I was driven to the airport at West Point. I, I was such a remarkable failure there that, you know, not only did they, you know, ask me to leave, but they couldn't get me out of there fast enough. And when I arrived at Villanova, I didn't take it seriously. You know, I pledged a fraternity. I, I was not, I, I was a horrible midshipman and graduated last in my class. And I've told this story a little bit, but you know, about two months from graduation, I didn't even get to be commissioned on time because I had failed physics so many times. I had to do my midshipman first class cruise after graduating. But one of the senior enlisted leaders, and, and this is what I'm going to ask Calvin as we go out here, one of my senior enlisted leaders at Villanova took me aside outside of, you know, the gym one day and said, you know what, midshipman Schofield, when you get out to the fleet, they are going to eat you alive. You do not have the proper respect for this. You don't get it. You think it's all about you. And when you have to go out there and stand in front of your sailors, they are going to eat you alive and you will fail. And it absolutely centered me and drove me from there. So as we go out, Calvin, also good advice for these future SWOs about to pick their ships. How important is it, you know, as you're standing in front of a group of sailors who, you know, truly are, you know, making a very small amount of money. They've been away from their families for nine months. How do you lead them and how do you rely upon those senior enlisted who have been there and done that, you know, and, and really become your teammates, you know, in this whole leadership game? And, and that's one of the biggest challenges that I see, you know, when you, you first go out of the fleet and you're in front of a division of sailors for the first time. And that 
division of sailors is immensely diverse, you know, in age, in, you know, backgrounds, where they're from, uh, values, everything. Uh, and, and it's tough as a 22, 23 year old kid. And all of a sudden you say, Hey, I, I'm your divo. Uh, that that's a real challenge. And you have to build up that credibility and that credibility comes from, you know, knowing what you're doing. Uh, and that's not going to come overnight. That's going to come through hard work, diligence, studying, putting in the time. Um, and that's going to come from, you know, learning those lessons from those who have gone before you, you know, from those senior enlisted who have those years of experience on you, you know, you need to be open because they've done it. And <laughs> we say everything in the Navy has been written in blood. These lessons have been learned. Um, and places like the Naval Academy has, you know, <laughs> we try to teach leadership, but there's nothing that prepares you quite like being put in front of that division for the first time. Uh, and being open, knowing that you don't know all the answers and having that, humility about you uh to accept that and i always got to talk and you, you got to talk and we because you're a team and you got to realize that and you're going through whatever you're going through as a division yes you're the division officer but in order to lead that team you need to be a part of that team i think that's one of the biggest lessons that i'll try to impart on those newly minted ensigns when they get out of the fleet well whether you're a SWO or just any officer, that is amazing leadership advice. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the gouge uh, and exactly the type of content that we like to have on this pod. Calvin, personally, from me to you, I know this is corny, but I love you. I'm so proud of you. I know I speak for Chris in the same way. To see what you've done now as Lieutenant Davies out there leading sailors and guiding them through tough times on deployment in an AOR that is absolutely on fire right now, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be more proud to call myself your friend, uh, Chris, I'll give you the last word and then let's get out of here. I'll echo what John said. I look forward to, uh, seeing you, uh, when, you, when you get back, I look forward to helping you celebrate your upcoming nuptials, uh, in, in June. And I look forward to seeing what's next for you. I hope you'll come back on the pod after you've made that transition and we can hear about how successful you are, uh, in, in that field as well. I mean, that, that's the exciting part about talking to friends, uh, and in this case, family, um, you know, seeing them as mid, seeing them in the Navy, and then seeing them succeed elsewhere in life. So, uh, you know, look forward to seeing you, buddy. Thank you all so much for having me on the pod. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, glad I could hopefully impart some some words of wisdom to those ensigns who are about to join the fleet. No, they were words of wisdom indeed, Calvin. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant Calvin Davies joining us from deployment out there in the 7th Fleet AOR. We're going to go to break. When we come back, Chris Cervello and I will take this out. This is Sing Second. The Sing Second podcast is brought to you by Stratascore Technologies. Stratascore Technologies is a leading small business provider of information technology services to America's warfighters. Headquartered in Virginia Beach, Virginia, their 230 plus employees have been delivering premier quality services in software and network engineering, enterprise architecture, afloat installation and maintenance, IT operations management and cybersecurity to the US Navy and Marine Corps since 2015. Team Stratus has a global footprint with staff located all over the United States and 11 destinations around the world, including Singapore, Japan, Guam, Korea, Greece, and Germany. Stratus Core Technologies is the provider of choice when the nation's most difficult technological problems need the most enterprising solutions. 
The Sphinx Second Podcast is very proud to have Stratosport Technologies as one of our premier sponsors. Please check out Stratosport Technologies online for your information technology services solutions. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Um, what a great set of interviews. I know that Chris and I enjoyed it a great deal. Got a little choked up there at the end with my boy Calvin Davies. Uh, really looking forward to having him home, as Chris said. Um, they're in uh, the early parts of June as the newly owned. Uh, thank you, David Rubenstein, for buying the Baltimore Orioles. But the newly owned Baltimore Orioles will be in first place in the AL East comfortably by early June. But we'll be happy to welcome Calvin Davies home and share a natty bow with him then. Speaking of sporting events, ladies and gentlemen, before we go out, uh, really have to pub up um, the next set of star games. I know this isn't the sports podcast anymore, but we are all about beating Army. Uh, and this weekend is yet another opportunity for that to happen. First and foremost, up at West Point, where it's really gorgeous in early February. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, garden destination, you know, Highland Falls in early February. That's where you want to be. But our very brave men and women of the rifle team will go up there and try to snatch the star from them. Early start to put your fingers on the triggers, ladies and gentlemen. 0800 at West Point. Uh, rifle will take on West Point for the star. But if you're here in Annapolis, you know, please come out and support your home teams. Uh, most notably, men's track and field rolling out at 11 a.m. at Wesley Brown, taking on Army for the star. Talked to Chuck Ladchuk the other day. He, he seems very, very confident. Uh, in men's track and field, snatching the star from them. 2 p.m., I know I'll be in Halsey Fieldhouse to watch Kip Simons and the rest of the Navy gymnasts take on uh, West Point for the star meet there. Really excited to bring you next week an interview with Navy gymnastics alum Ken Hakako. Hopefully, Puck and I can break down a successful meet for Navy gymnastics. You know, he's going to put on his like Tim Daggett, you know, Bark Connor hat. Uh, and break down all the triple sow cows that are happening um, on the mat there for Navy Gymnastics. So please come to Halsey at 2 p.m. And then at 2.30 p.m., uh, I know that Ken's wife, Navy PAO, Ashley Hakako, former Navy track and field athlete, will be in Wesley Brown to watch the women uh, take on uh, Army for the star meet in track and field. So please come out and check that out. Uh, Chris, I'll tell you what. Great set of interviews. Always great to talk to Calvin Davies. Um, I'll give you the last word before we take this baby out, trying to keep it under an hour. Yeah, another great episode, John. Um, this is probably one of my favorite times of year. I mean, despite being the dark ages, um, all of the service assignment activities, I saw the pictures that the Naval Academy and the Naval Academy Alumni Association shared on uh on social media with all the different dinners that were going on. I love seeing uh, Yvette Davids in a flight suit. I mean, and it's great to see her immediately jumping into that soup role and, and uh, being a cheerleader for all of the communities um, and, you know, a leader for the midshipmen as they uh, take this important step. So, uh, you know, I I'm excited about where we are pod wise. Uh, th this is a great time of year as these firsties, um, are just days away from uh, from joining the fleet. Absolutely true, and uh, we're really excited about that. The other thing we're excited about, I'll make my last word here, um, is that I wanted to give everyone kind of a back brief on our road show. So I told everyone at the beginning of the year that 2024 was going to be the Alumni Association and Foundation's 
opportunity to get out from behind our keyboards, out from behind our desks, and go out and meet the audience where they are. Um, you know, we learned that from some of the best PAOs in the business, you know, calling out to you, Denny Moynihan and Frank Thorpe. Uh, but, you know, really happy to give a little summary of our latest roadshow that just took place out on the West Coast. TJ Grady and Nancy Murray were able to get out to Hawaii and Northern California. Uh, in Hawaii, they met with 22 Alumni Association members uh, at Pauhana. Um, you know, the alumni classes range from 1970 to 2018. So recent grads and older grads talked about changes of leadership on the yard and at AANF the new building, and everything that we're doing as part of our strategic plan. Uh, I know that from there, they went to Sacramento, where the foundation joined them, and a lot of great exchanges. Uh, from there to Monterey, uh, shout out to Grant Vermeer, um, you know, recent 2018 grad, or 17 grad, rather, played basketball here, local uh, realtor. Uh, he's going to be on the pod here in the coming weeks, but I know that he was at the Monterey event. Uh, and then they also went to Alameda. And then Chris, you know, I know that you're excited and I'm excited too. Part two of this roadshow, ladies and gentlemen, will take place at the end of this month, starting on the 24th of uh, February. So if you're in Central Florida or Southern and Central Florida, mark your calendars. Uh, Saturday, the 24th, the Greater Miami chapter um, and um, and the South Florida chapter you know, we'll have an event for you down there on Sunday, the 25th. We'll be in Palm Beach uh, and right near the Florida Space Coast for the uh, engagement with the Florida Space Coast chapter on Monday, the 26th of February in Orlando. And then on the 27th, I know Chris Cervello has already circled it, uh, Jacksonville chapter, Northeast Florida. They're coming to you again. Come to us with your questions. Come to us with your complaints. Come to us with your ideas. But please, Come to us, engage with us, help us engage with you back. That's what we're here to do. So that was that. Thank you so much to Commander Flynn. Thank you to Calvin Davies. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Chris Cervello for being the best of friends and the best of producers. And thank you to the listeners for continuing to listen to the Sing Second Pod. I am John Schofield. We will see you next week. Remember, SWO doesn't suck. You suck. We are out. Hey.